Well, good morning, friends. It is great to be with you. My name is Ethan, one of the ministers here, and we are so glad you're here. You're here on a good day. And hey, first, I get to say thank you to the dozens of you who parked off the main parking lot today and got your steps in. Thank you so much. I heard from the parking team already. Give me a round of applause. Thank you. I heard from the parking team that there were hordes of you. If you don't know what that means, I got a picture right here. Um, just past our church, we own this little strip mall uh, called the Mount Castle Center. It's got tons of parking in it. And for us, as the fall kicks in, our parking lot has been filling up. For us to have room in our parking lot, we need lots and lots of people to park there or across the street or at the bank or at the shopping center. And lots of you did today. Thank you. Keep it up. It made a huge difference. Uh, We did not run out of parking today, and that is amazing. So for those of you that arrived late and just pulled in and found a parking spot, you know who to thank. So aren't we grateful for them? Uh, Also, uh, don't forget, in two weeks, we're opening up uh, the CLC as a video venue um, at 945 and 1115. And I know a lot of you have already said, yeah, I'm going to do that, or I'm going to start going to 815 uh, to make sure there's plenty of room in this service and in the 945 service. So thank you to those of you who are making those commitments. Uh, We need about, we need to shift around 100 people out of this service and the 945 service so that we can continue to make room for those that God will send to us. So thank you for your part in that. Appreciate all that you're doing uh, for that. Listen, before we jump into today's message, uh, we're going to pray just a minute for all. It's it's back to school season, especially for our college students. You know, ETSU starts soon. Milligan moves in this weekend. And so we're just going to pray for them. Uh, You know, it's funny. We, we, We love all of our college students, but there is something interesting. You may not know, our connection with Milligan as a church goes way back. In fact, Uh, The founding of this church is thanks to the very first president of Milligan College, Josephus Hopwood. Um, He thought there needed to be a church in Johnson City, and so he went to four families, and he said, hey, you all should start a church in Johnson City, and they did it, uh, and um, and so they they came here and and started a church, and that was us. Uh, You know, 152 years later, uh, that's us, and we've been partnering with Milligan uh, as a place that is announcing the gospel and grounding lives in the Word of God ever since. Uh, So let's just pray for all of our college students and just pray a blessing on that. God, we thank you for, we think of people who are going off to college for the first time. They are moving into a dorm, they're getting out of the house. We just pray for that new experience, that they will, in that place, be salt and light, that they would be a transformative influence on the culture around them that they would be shaped by your word and not the world around them, and that as they are shaped by your word, they would become an influence to their peers, that, that they might glorify God with their life. We pray for the parents of those brand new students who are probably taking it harder than the students, God. We pray for them, that they might have a sense of your trust and protection over their student. We pray for Returning students, we pray for those entering the workforce as young adults, God, that you would just bless them and give them wisdom, that they might begin to see how the decisions and the steps they are taking are establishing a trajectory that will be for your glory and for your good and for their blessing as you guide their steps. God, we do thank you in particular for Milligan, a partner in the gospel. May they be faithful to your word, faithful to raising up students that are grounded in 
your scripture, that they might live as salt and light for you. We thank you for their partnership and what they've meant to us as a church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are working through the DNA of FCC. We're talking about the four commitments that we make as the people of God together and how these are commitments are rooted in the most basic commands of Jesus. We say we want to love God as worshipers, love everyone as servants, make disciples as disciples, and tell our story as missionaries. Uh, You'll notice as you look at that list, if you see it on the website or see it up here on the screen, you'll notice that that list is both a list of commands, love God, love everyone, make disciples, tell our story, and a list of identities, worshipers, servants, disciples, missionaries. And this is on purpose because Jesus both has commands for us and he authors for us a new identity in Christ. He is the savior, the rescuer, and those he saves, he gives the identity of his followers, his disciples, his family, and he is the Lord that commands and instructs and calls us to obey. In fact, his favorite greeting, when Jesus would meet a stranger for the first time, he met them with a command. Hey, you, follow me. That's how he began the relationship. But on the heels of that command was the offer of a new identity. Hey, you, follow me, and you will be fishers of men. Hey, you, follow me, and you will be my disciples. Hey, you, follow me, and you will be children of God. The commands of Jesus to follow him are disruptive. We, Janet taught us two weeks ago. They tell us to follow Jesus and not the world. Follow Jesus and not our culture. Follow Jesus and not even our own hearts and our own desires and our own whims. And when we follow Jesus in this way, when we follow Jesus and not ourselves, we are following Jesus following not just what he taught, but what he himself modeled. One of the most powerful scenes in the life of Christ is in the garden, right before his arrest and his crucifixion. In a moment of private prayer, Jesus prays this, Father, if it is possible, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Practice saying those words with me. Not my will, but yours be done. This is not just what Jesus teaches us. This is how he lives. This is the example he sets for us. And if, I just want to tell you, if you are seeking to follow Jesus faithfully with your life, you will get to say that sentence a lot. You get to say it a lot more than you wish you would. It won't just be that kind of once at the beginning you'll say, not my will, but yours be done. But again and again and again, you'll get to say it. And sometimes that sentence is so hard to say. You'll come into a little money and you'll get to say, Father, with this money, not my will, but yours be done. 
This money won't be governed by my will, which is sort of dominated by greed, but by your will, which is dominated by generosity. This means your, your, your sex life will be driven not by my will and my desires, but by your will, God, and the call to chastity and purity. This means that when someone wrongs you or offends you or hurts you, you'll get to say, not my will, which is clearly for revenge, but your will, which teaches me to turn the other cheek. This means that when someone encourages you to slice up the world by race or by ethnicity or by culture or by nation or by party and divide and create enemies, you will say, not my will, which sort of is to participate in that, but your will, which says all are beloved and all are invited to be part of the kingdom of God. This means that when my will does not want to forgive or show grace, or give people a second chance, I'll say, not my will, yours be done. And I'll listen and have another conversation. In September next month, we're going to do a series on Christian relationships and, and sexual ethics. And, and, and in that whole series, we'll have opportunity after opportunity after every single one of us will get to say, not my will, Yours be done. You're in charge of my life, God. And this, this sentence, it turns out, is a normal part of following Jesus. Our will pulls one way, and God's will takes us another, and we get to say it. Let's say it again. Let's practice. It takes some practice, right? Try and say it. Not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's even harder to say now that we've thought of all the situations it applies to, isn't it? right? Not my will, but yours be done. Parents, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we teach our kids to live lives in submission to Jesus. And there are also many things, you know, we, we sometimes with our children, we have to look at other people's lives and say, hey, yeah, I see that. We don't do that. Okay. Sometimes we have to look, teach, look at our kids' lives. Hey, that thing you just did, stop it. That's not good. But I just want to tell you, the most profound way you can teach your children to live in submission of Jesus is to model it. Show your kids how you yourself are saying to God, not my will, but yours be done. Have, a, have an honest conversation. Say, in this situation, what I want to do is this. What God commands me is this, and I'm going to do that. This is how you teach your children to live this way. And where does this will start? This not my will, but your will. Where does God's will, Christ's will start? Well, we looked at that last week. It starts with what he calls the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I love these commands so much that I'm tempted to just preach a whole other sermon on them. But I did that last week and I just can't do it. I got to move on. But these commands are so radical. And just as you hear these commands, just let yourself say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but your will for me. And what is that? That I would love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength, leaving no room for any secondary love to command the allegiance that only God gets. Not my will, yours be done. What is God's will? Well, Jesus says, love your neighbor. 
and your enemy and your family and your friends and the foreigner and the stranger and the one who persecutes you. He just keeps listing all the people we're supposed to love. Not my will, but yours be done. And then, as much as I want to preach around those all over again, that was last week, and then he tells us next. Where does the will of God go next? Well, we're going to jump all the way to the last commands Jesus gives us. We just Those were the great commandments. The last commands Jesus gives us, Christians call the Great Commission. The, the setting here is Jesus has risen from the dead. He has demonstrated in his own body that he is God, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord over death itself, and in the context of his revealed glory, he gathers his disciples for some instructions. If you want to find it in your Bibles, it's in Matthew chapter 28. It'll also be up on the screens here. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gathers them up. He says, all authority is mine, and he gives them one command, make disciples. Now, the good news is, you know what a disciple is. Whatever it is you think in your head is a disciple, you're close enough. You know what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who learns and studies from their teacher and then tries to imitate the life of their teacher. That's what a disciple is. And Jesus says, go make those. Obviously, to make disciples, you would have to be a disciple, but that's the thing you're supposed to do, is to be a disciple and make disciples. You yourself learn from Jesus while you help other people learn from Jesus, and both of you try to obey what you have learned. Jesus breaks it up into baptizing and teaching. Uh, baptizing, being immersed, that's what we just saw. It was an amazing day. Welcome. You're all wet, but we're glad you're here. Um, baptizing is what we just saw right? This is the way Jesus teaches us to begin our lives as disciples of Christ. And I would just say, if you're living as a disciple, but you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. It's what Jesus says to do, is to be immersed into Christ, you know? Uh, so you should do that. And we, if you've got questions about that, come talk to me. I'll buy you breakfast. We'll talk about baptism. But that isn't the end of being a disciple, immediately, he says, then teach them. Then we learn from Jesus. And you already knew that because you knew what a disciple was. The other text where we find the Great Commission is in Acts chapter 1. So the scenario is the same. It's after Jesus' resurrection. He's been teaching among them. He's been revealed in power. They find like, okay, we get it. You aren't dead. Okay. And he, and, and, but in this one, they ask a question for Jesus. They say, Jesus, when are you going to come back and finish your job? To come back and reestablish the kingdom of God. When are you going to finish the work, Jesus? And Jesus does an interesting thing. He says, I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to finish the work. I'm going to tell you your work. I'm going to tell you about your job. Don't worry about when I'm going to finish my job. You worry about your job. Here's what he says. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. 
and a cloud hid him from their sight. He says, don't worry about when I'm going to finish my work. I'll finish my work when I finish my work. Let me tell you about your job. You will be my witnesses. Now notice that, right? We said command and identity. Command, make disciples, identity, be a witness. Now here, however, we do need to do a little explaining. Remember I said you already knew what a disciple was and whatever definition you had of disciple was close enough. On witness, we have to talk a little bit. Not because you don't know what the word means. You know what the word means. You've just forgotten because you might have been confused and think that to be a witness or to go witnessing meant you had to go stand on a street corner somewhere and, and tell strangers about Jesus in a real loud voice. And I'm not saying that's not witnessing, but it isn't what the word means, okay? The word itself, I'm going to remind you, as soon as I say what it means, you're like, oh, right, right, I knew that word. It's the word for the thing people do in a courtroom, right? You see, you know that word. It's the thing where you get called in and you have to answer some questions about whatever it is you know about the situation. Maybe it's because you're an expert witness and you studied, or maybe you're an eyewitness and you saw something, or you're, maybe you're a part of it, you know, and you're a hostile witness and you're whatever, but that's, that's what a witness is. It's someone who gets in a situation and has to tell the truth about what they know. Remember that phrase, tell the truth about what you know. And of course, you could refuse to testify, right? Like you get the subpoena and you don't even go or you show up, but you won't answer any questions. But if you do that, that's a crime. That's called contempt of court if you refuse to testify. Or you could get in the witness stand and they could start asking you questions and you could start making up a bunch of stuff. That's also a crime. That's called perjury. And you go to jail. So if you refuse to testify, go to jail. Make up a bunch of testimony, also go to jail. Some of you are asking right now, okay, remind me again, how do I avoid jail in this scenario? It's very simple. The way you avoid jail is tell the truth about what you know. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ, is to just tell the truth about what you know. Don't make up a bunch of stuff that isn't true. Right? Don't you say that like everybody I know after they gave, they gave their life to Jesus, they never had a day of suffering ever again in their entire life. And everything about their life was perfect in roses. So you should also give your life to Christ because then everything in your life will be perfect. That is a lie. That's perjury. People go to jail for that. But it's also a crime for you to know about the goodness, glory, grace, and forgiveness of God. Know about the, the, the reality of a God who loves you. And to know somebody who is, who is utterly uninformed about that. And to not care enough to tell them. That is also a crime. So what, how do we avoid going to jail? We just tell the truth about what we know. These two commands are the great commissions. Make disciples, be my witnesses. Now, you might be asking to yourself, who exactly is responsible for these? Like, do, do these commands apply to me, right? And there are lots of natural reasons why you might think they don't, right? Like, you might think, like, I don't know, this whole make disciples thing, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm really struggling. And, like, if I were a better, more, you know, more committed Christian, then it might apply to me. But I don't know, I don't think I'm ready for that. I'd be sympathetic to that. But 
All that shows me is that you weren't paying attention to the verses I just read. Look at Matthew 28 again. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Who was Jesus giving this command to? Worshippers and doubters. And it's not like he said, all right, you doubters go over there. You worshipers come over here. Let me tell you, you're supposed to go make disciples. No, just like this room. The, 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 the people he was talking to were a jumbled mess of worshipers and doubters. And here's the thing. It's not like even in this room, we could have all the worshipers go to one side and all the doubters go to another. Because lots of you, it's in, it's the both, you're both people. You're both here as a worshiper and you're here with questions you don't know the answer to. Why God didn't you do this? And when God are you going to do this? But I'm here to worship you. You're both people. So to all those people, Jesus says, help other people follow Jesus. Help people be my disciples, even as you are my disciple. It's, it's for everybody. Maybe you think, maybe that's just a, a different generation. Maybe that was just for the original 12 or for the original 120. And, but, but, but surely my job is just to sit in the pews, right? I'm just supposed to come here and soak it up. I'm not supposed to be part of this disciple-making mission. Except, follow my logic here, if the disciples made disciples the way Jesus told them to make disciples, then when they were just making disciples, they would have made disciples the way Jesus made disciples, which means they would have told their disciples to also make disciples of Jesus. And then if they made disciples the way their disciples had been made them into disciples, they would have made disciples the way they were made into disciples, which means they would have told the people they were making disciples of Jesus to then go make disciples of Jesus. Every generation, we're not making disciples of Jesus who are the last. We're making disciples who make disciples. That is the call. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to recognize that you, you bear the burden to make disciples of Jesus. So the command to make Disciples is for all of us who are disciples. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you if you're obeying that command. I'm just going to say, are you doing it? What about the command to evangelize? Who's that one for? Again, perfectly reasonable response. If you want to say something like this, when I am in a season of spiritual strength, that is a good time for me to share my faith and evangelize. But right now I'm in this season of spiritual weakness and I just, I'm just not sure that it's a good time for me to share my faith. Boy, that, that totally makes sense to me. And you've got it completely backwards. Um, yes, if the thing you were telling people about was your glory and your power and your strength, then you absolutely should wait till you're a season of, in a season of strength to brag about how strong you are. But you're not telling people about your glory and your power and your strength. You're telling people about God's glory and God's power and God's strength and Christ's forgiveness and Christ's mercy. Which means, ironically, for some of you, it is precisely in a season of weakness that you will be able to speak with increased clarity about the glory of goodness of God. 
When you say, I am going through a hard time right now, and I fell back into an old pattern of sin, and I am breaking God's heart, and I am breaking my own heart, and yet... I know my God hasn't given up on me. My God is merciful to me. My God seeks to restore me and repair me. My God is still with me. There is still hope and a future for me because I am anchored in Christ and therefore there is now no condemnation. That's a testimony. Not about you. We're all very unimpressed with you. But we're magnificently impressed with Jesus. And that is the testimony. Maybe you say, uh, when I've been a Christian for a longer period of time, you know, you know, you know when I've, I've got some Christian maturity in me, you know, when I've been, when I've been a Christian for, for, for six months, then I'll, I'll, I'll share my faith. Or when I've been a Christian for six years, or some of you are out there like, totally, Ethan, when I've been a Christian, when I have been walking with the Lord for 70 years, I'm going to start being an evangelist. I just, you're going to be amazing. Don't wait. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In one breath, Paul says, Christ reconciled us to himself and in the same act of God's spirit, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There is no delay between having received the mercy of God and being able to tell somebody about that mercy. And this is like a five-star Yelp review while you're still in the restaurant, right? You've taken one bite and you stop and you get out your phone and you're like, this is the best steak I have ever eaten in my life. And then you have a bite of the sweet potatoes and you're like, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned the sweet potatoes. They're amazing too. As the glory and mercy of God is continually expressed in your life, your testimony will grow, yes, but you don't wait. I, I know a woman walking in the Lord today. When I met her, she had no faith, no faith background, no connection to the church. I met her because she was invited to a Bible study I led by a friend. The friend who invited her also had no faith, no relationship with Jesus, and at the time, no connection to the church. She's a believer now, but she wasn't then. How could a non-believer be a, an evangelist? Well, this was her testimony. This was the testimony she had. She said, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, and they are a little bit religious at this Bible study, but they're so good to my kids, and it makes me a better parent. It's worth it just for that. You should come. And they're both walking with the Lord today. Why? Because she had seen just a tiny sliver of the goodness of God. She had seen that God's wisdom and God's word helped her be a parent. She had seen a tiny bit of the goodness and glory of God. And so that tiny bit she'd seen, she told to her friend. Now, now she's been walking with the Lord for years. She's seen so much more. She is so much more powerful and effective evangelist than she was back then. But the actual work of evangelism hasn't changed. It's just telling the truth about what you have seen about the goodness and glory of Jesus. That's, that's all it is. It's just telling that truth. So who is that command for? It, it's for everybody. In seasons of spiritual strength, strength testify. In spirit, seasons of spiritual weakness, testify. Early in your faith, testify to what little you have seen. Long in the faith, You've got a long story to tell. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, 
Are you obedient to this command? Okay. I actually strike that. Let me ask that right now. Here are the two commands. Make disciples as disciples. Tell our story as missionaries. And my very simple question for you is, are you following these commands? Systematically and on purpose, are you following these commands? Make disciples as disciples. Do you have a way that you are studying God's word? Both in private study, like you have a habit, you have a way that makes you read the Bible a little bit every day, every other day. I'm not legalistic about this. I don't care what your method is. You tell me you get up every morning, you stay up late every night, you listen to books on tape, you got the Bible on tape when you commute to work. Great. I, I, I almost don't care what it is. As long as you have a way that gets you into God's word on a regular basis so that you might be shaped by it. And then I would ask, do you have a group? Are you connected with other people? This is the clear command of God's word that we be in biblical study with other people so that we might be shaped by it. Are you in a group? Uh, it, it's Connect Sunday around here. Janet's going to be up a little later. She's going to talk about all the ways. You got this little card in the back of your seats right there. Maybe you can pull it out. Uh, one, if you want to, after service, go downstairs, go to the library. We've got a little presentation to tell you about groups. Maybe you don't like presentations. Look on the back of the card. We've got a few groups listed there. Here's the thing. If you're in a group and we didn't list your group, don't be offended. We, can't, we had room for like five groups. We have like 80 at the church, okay? We just picked five. We love your group too. But, but if you're not in a group, let us help you get in a group. Maybe you're asking, why? Ethan, I'm already busy. Why would I get in a group? Well, may, is it enough for me to just say, not my will, but thine be done? I mean, God commands it. God commands us to be in spiritual community. But if that's not enough, and I'll confess, it often isn't enough for me. I can be a rebellious soul. Here's why I would get in the group. Because it's awesome. This is the thing about obedience to God. It always leads to blessing. And when you invest in spiritual community, you will experience blessing. You'll have more fun. You'll be less lonely. I mean, every, you go, go read, it's hilarious. Sometime go out and read all the studies they've done. People who are part of a Bible study, they live longer, they have more friends, they have better marriages, more people visit them in the hospital. I mean, a thing, there is real tangible blessing for being connected in community with God's people. You will have people show up to your funeral, but more importantly, you'll have people show up to your parents' funeral to sit with you while you grieve and to walk with you through that journey. You will grow in God's word. There'll be somebody there that you can disciple and somebody there to disciple you to say, hey, I love you, but this is an area where you don't look much like Jesus and maybe you should. And all of us need people like that. My second question is the same thing. Do you have a systematic pattern whereby you are sharing your testimony with other people. I don't mean lying and making up, pretending like you have all the answers. People often say, um, you know, if I share my testimony, they'll ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. Well, like, oh, you're a Christian? Well, then what about blah, blah, blah Bible verse? Or what about this YouTube video I saw? Here's the thing. Witnesses aren't intimidated when they get asked a question they don't answer. If you're on the witness stand and they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, you just say, I don't know. 
That's all you got to say. I I didn't see anything. You're just done. That's the, I love it when people ask me a question I don't know. The worst is when they ask you a question you do know the answer to, but it's super complicated. You're like, okay, I'll try to remember. Um, I think it has something to do with like a, a Hebrew translation of an Ugaritic text. No, the questions you don't know the answer to are the best ones. You say, I don't know. Your job is just to tell what you know about the goodness and glory of God in your life. Now, if you don't, if this isn't a part of your life at all, you're like, this just never happens to me. I never do this. I want to tell you the easiest way I know to get started is to consistently and fervently pray to the Lord that he will put you on the witness stand, that he will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, orchestrate an opportunity for you to share your testimony. You know, like many people, my life of prayer is complicated, right? I can tell you about prayers I have prayed for years that it seemed like God never answered. But this prayer, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith. That simple prayer, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith. That prayer has never gone unanswered in my whole life. And usually it's answered quickly and dramatically. I remember, not the first time I had ever prayed the prayer, but the first time I prayed it sort of as an adult, I was listening to a sermon like this, and I realized I just was not sharing my faith. And so I, right there in the service, I just said, God, give me an opportunity. And I began to pray. Every time I remembered it, I began to pray, God, give me an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity. Three days later, I was at a cookout. In the backyard of the cookout, things were winding down. We were sitting around a fire pit or on two Adirondack chairs and kind of everybody else had gone off to do something. So it was just me and this other guy. And the guy says to me, Ethan, I'm 33. Uh, I got, I'm married. I got kids. I got a good job and a house. I just wonder, do you think there's anything more to life than that. And even I can walk through a barn door that big. Okay, I am the worst evangelist ever. But we're sitting there. It's just the two of us. Nobody else has listened. And he says, is there any meaning to life other than material pursuits? Uh, 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 Jesus? I mean, yeah, it was amazing. I got to baptize that guy years later. It took a long time. He did not like my initial answer. I fumbled it. I stumbled. But oh my goodness, later that night, I was just praying to God. I was just like, I didn't think you'd be that obvious. (laughs) Like I was expecting to have to look for it. If you want to be a person who shares your testimony, begin to earnestly seek the Lord that he would put you on the witness stand. And when you're there, don't you lie, don't you embellish. If your faith is hard, let that be your testimony. That's the truth you have to tell. But don't you keep silent either. You go to jail for that. Again, you maybe you're asking, Ethan, why would I make the decision to live my life as a missionary? Well, Again, I would say, is it enough that God commands it? Not my will, but yours be done. And if it's not, I'll just say, because it's so fun. It's so awesome. And this is what we always discover with obedience. Obedience always leads to blessing. I just, I just, you will be so overjoyed that first time. Like when you get to be the one who tells somebody there is a God who loves you. And I know it because God loves me. And let me tell you what I know about the love of God. 
Uh, When I think back to some of the the people that God has allowed me to share about Jesus with, it's like I get a second heartbeat as joy fills me. That's why you would obey. Not just because of the command, but because you would get to have that joy. So this is our DNA. Love God as worshipers, love everyone as servants, make disciples as disciples, tell our story as missionaries. If you're new around here, welcome to First Christian Church. Uh, this, is, this is us. It's not flashy. It's pretty basic. But that's the point. It's the stuff Jesus commands. And so we seek to do it. Next week, we're going to talk about what it would look like if we together made commitments in each of these four areas. But today, I just want you to, before God, consider your commissioning. This is your commissioning. Let me pray for you. God, right now we sit before you, longing to be recommissioned. We hear Jesus remind us that all authority in heaven and earth is his, in his grasp, proved in his very body when he rose from the dead. And we hear him tell us, Make disciples in my name, baptizing and teaching. We hear him tell us, you be my witnesses. Live with our lips ready to open and speak as your spirit gives opportunity. Live trusting that your spirit will give opportunity. We believe this now, God. We receive the commission you have given us. Trusting in your faithful spirit to see it through and accomplish it in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.